This picture, by the way, this is a lion if you can't see it. I felt like we needed the lion of tribe of Judah here. Someone brought that in this morning. Um, Psalm 37 is what this describes. Notice the cross, notice the fruitfulness. Keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in his eyes. Fix your heart on the promises of God and you will dwell in the land feasting on his faithfulness. Find your delight and true pleasure in Yahweh and he will give you um, what your desire of your heart is the most. So thank you, Lord, that there's a picture of that. Thank you that there's a sense of entering today. I'm gonna see how we uh, move forward with this. Um, Yeah. Um, Yeah. I want to just review the bigger story um, as we begin. We're in the book of Joshua, and uh, I'm doing chapter five today. And what I want to review for you is just kind of the story uh, broadly for just a minute. Coming out of Egypt, there's some parallels. Um, What happened is there was a burning bush experience for Moses after he had wandered wandered himself for 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, interestingly, 40, the, the number 40 speaks of a generation of trial and of testing and of routing out the things of the world from our heart. So Moses, after he had failed in his attempt to set the captives free when he killed an Egyptian, etc., fled into the wilderness, was there for 40 years, and God appears in a burning bush and says, take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. Um, to give you a picture of what that analogy is, the shoe in that day was you walked out a territory in your own strength through your shoes. Your sandal was considered, this is my land. This is my territory. And they literally walked it out. And the, the, the question the Lord said, or the, the command the Lord said was, take off your shoes for this is holy ground. In other words, it's my work. It's my ministry. It's not what you're going to claim. It's what I'm going to do on your behalf. And then he is commissioned to set the captives free. If you know the story, uh, there are some plagues, uh, which is judgment on the gods of Israel, uh, excuse me, gods of Egypt. Uh, Egypt had certain gods, the river god, the the cow god, all these different ones. And literally all of the 10 plagues dealt with the gods of Egypt showing God's power over Egypt. Even when they crossed the Red Sea to the place called Baal it was the god of the river or the god of the sea of Egypt that was being defeated. So all of them um, were defeated in that. And then the nation had met with the Lord. They were called to be a kingdom of priests to take the land for the kingdom. Uh, the promise was had been made to Abraham, this is a land that I'm giving to you and your descendants. It's a perpetual covenant Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. This is your land. This is your territory. In fact, he had him stand in the high place near Bethel and said, look to the north, the south, to the east, the west, everything that you can see from this location, this is your territory. And um, the promise was um, to Abraham, I am, um, Abraham went into the land of Egypt it would be 430 years until he came back because the sin of the Amorites, the Canaanites, was not full measure. So before God judges, he's waiting, he's giving people an opportunity to repent. And then the idea was the people of God were gonna occupy houses they did not build, vineyards they did not plant, 
fields they did not sow seed for, and that God would give them a territory, and it would be him that would take the land. And the command was to go in, to spy out the land, see how good it was, to actually be assured that God was faithful to his promises. It was called the land of milk and honey milk, speaking of um, the, the goats, uh, the sheep, the, the agrarian culture there uh, in absolute fruition. And then honey, the date palm, the various fruits of the land that literally it would be a land of provision, a land of promise, which would, would have rain from heaven and God would take care of the land. And as long as the people served him as God as king, they were gonna reign in that land. So um, they, we, we saw them cross the Jordan. By the way, when they came out from the Red Sea, I guess I need to cover this because it happens in Joshua 5. After Moses was commissioned by the Lord and they had the plagues, the divine intervention of miracles, to defeat the enemy, all of Egypt was destroyed in the Red Sea when it closed over them. Um, there was that conquest, so to speak. They were commanded to serve uh, to celebrate a feast called Passover, which meant the angel of death will pass over Israel by the blood of the spotless lamb that you place on your doorpost, covering your family with the blood of the Passover lamb. Of course, we know Jesus is that Passover lamb. And that was to be done on the 14th day of the month. Um, the lamb was selected on the 10th. The 14th was the celebration. By the way, that's the day that Jesus was tried and crucified as the Passover lamb. And, um, and then after that, they had to be circumcised before they could celebrate the Passover. Circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with his people. So Abraham when it said he believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteous, when he believed the promises of God, it starts in Genesis 15, it's ratified again in Genesis 22. Um, there's this place where the circumcision is the sign of the covenant that God makes as a perpetual blessing to Abraham because of his faith. And so the people of God in Egypt needed to be circumcised in order to identify as God's covenant people and they were the ones that were able to participate in the Passover meal. So then they wander for 40 years in the wilderness. And the reason for that is once they got there and they spied out the land, 10 spies said, we're not able to take the land. There are high walled cities. There are giants in the land. Our God is not able. We'll surely be defeated. Let's go back to Egypt. And they murmured about that. They grumbled and they... Um, they, uh, you know, rejected, if you will, the promises of God. And two spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, no, our God is able. Do not anger the Lord. Do not despise his promises. Surely we're able because God has promised. Um, what happened is God says, I will take Joshua and Caleb in, but the rest of this generation of Israel's fighting men will die off because they've not believed in the promises and they've wanted to go back to Egypt. It's actually a picture that we enter into covenant realities and promises through faith and through absolute dependence on God in spite of impossibilities. And actually God allows a season of wilderness. I'm speaking metaphorically here. And I do this on the basis of 1 Corinthians 10 where it said the rock that was in the wilderness was Christ, that the manna from heaven was the bread of life, which is Jesus, John 6. There's all these pictures saying 
And 1 Corinthians 10 says, do not harden your heart as they did in the trials in the wilderness and failed to enter the promises of God. And so God actually allows us to go through a wilderness season to get the unbelief out of us and the idols of Egypt out of us, the golden calves, if you will. And typically the, the way the wilderness looks, it says, grind up the gold through which you've made the calf and eat it and see if that satisfies you. And so <laughs> it's, that's, that's, uh, that's in uh, Exodus 32. And so what actually happens is the Lord allows us to experience the pain of our brokenness and what we got from the Egypt system. But the picture is, I am going to deliver through mighty signs and wonders and the parting of the sea by people from bondage to the world system. They are going to become a kingdom of priests who will worship me and honor me as king. And I will take them into a promised land where they'll extend the kingdom. At the, but the, the barriers to that is faith. And in the middle of that is this wilderness where God routes it out. He routes out, he tests our heart, he routes out, and he, if you will, he needs to circumcise our heart for us to be able to come into faith in the promised land. And then we come to the, um, the manna, by the way, was, came from heaven and sustained them for 40 years. And Deuteronomy uh, 8, Moses is speaking to them saying, how long did you wander in the wilderness these 40 years? And did you not see that your clothes did not wear out, your shoes or sandals did not wear out? And was I not faithful to provide for you all of these 40 years so that, 8.3, men may learn that God does not, that you do not live by bread alone that you make with your hands, that you sow, plant, and harvest, but on every word or promise that proceeds from the mouth of God. By the way, that's what Satan defeated when he met the devil in the wilderness for 40 days. So Jesus has actually gone before us in the 40 to defeat our wilderness and to bring us into the land of promise. So that's the picture. Now we come to Joshua. And what's happening here is we're about to see the divine intervention of God in judging Jericho. And in mighty signs and wonders. So actually, just like with, um, with Moses, we have a parting of a sea, if you will, a river at flood stage. We have the presence of God going before, just like God said to Moses, stretch out the, the rod of God's authority. And the wind of God, the mighty east wind, parted the sea so that the people crossed on dry land. The same thing happened. The presence is marched out into the river where it's dammed up in a town called Adam, which means man. So when man ceases from his own efforts of trying to live out the promises and it's stopped up, we actually will have the opposition dried up so we could enter into the promises. And so that picture is clear and it's divine intervention and you'll see as we read this, um, as they cross, they're going to get recircumcised and they're going to celebrate the Passover again because all of those that were in the wilderness in the 40 years that they wandered their sons, they did not circumcise them. And actually in the Hebrew, it's interesting, they are called the Goy or the Goyim, which means like the peoples of the earth rather than the Am, the people of my presence the ones that I'm devoted to, the people of my covenant. So they come out of Egypt as the people of the covenant, but they wander in unbelief 
and failed to enter the promises. And they're then called the people, the, go, the goyim of the earth. And they're about to be recircumcised and they're going to be called the Am, the people of God once again. So it's repeating the pattern. Do you see the pattern? There's a parting of the opposition to allow you to come into the promises so that you might become the people of God under God as king without your own human ability, to trusting on the divine promises of God. And interestingly, the reproach of Egypt, you're gonna hear this as I read Joshua 5, is rolled away. In Egypt, they were mocked and they were made slaves and they were shamed. And they were shamed by the bondage that was there and that reproach God is about to cut away as they circumcises their hearts. It'll be a physical circumcision, but it's a circumcision of heart. And they re-celebrate that. And interestingly, the manna, which fell on the wilderness, is now going to stop because now they're going to harvest from the land that God had promised. The, the 14th of Nisan is, uh, uh, is the beginning of the barley harvest. And they actually harvested, it says in the text, the roasted grain. And they ate a meal based on the harvest that God promised to provide. So they entered the land and then the commander of the Lord's army shows up and meets Joshua and says, take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. So there's an inclusio, if you will, like a bookends to a center section of God is going to show up in his holiness to circumcise his people. And in the middle, he's gonna route out the unbelief and the world system so that you can walk in freedom to conquer the enemy in your future assignment. We have to have Egypt taken out of us to conquer the enemy. We have to have our hearts circumcised. We have to go through our wilderness journey to realize we don't live by our own control, our own efforts, our own stepping into our territory by our human zeal, but by going low through the river of descent called the Jordan. That's why they baptized in the Jordan, because you lay down your life and you say, God, I can't do this. It's a river of impossibility. I lay it down. It's only by your grace. It's only by your strength. And interestingly, this picture of the cross, do you realize when they crossed after the Passover, the very next story after the Passover meal in this would be about Exodus 15, is the bitter waters are turned sweet. The bitter waters of Egypt are turned sweet and how it was done is they took a tree, guess who hung on a tree? Jesus, and they cut the tree and threw the tree into the water and the bitter waters became sweet. Amen. It's a picture of the cross of Christ to heal. By the way, after they're circumcised, they have to heal. The cross heals all of the brokenness of our heart. I'm speaking metaphorically. Do you see how I'm getting this? There's your picture right there that the artist painted. We, we sang about it this morning. So let's read Joshua 5. You guys ready? And there's going to be some principles that I'll draw from this text. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan, that would be where they'd come from, and all the kings of the Canaanites, that's where they're going, who were by the sea, that's that whole ridge, rift, that whole ridge east of the uh, rift valley, 
heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Wow. The enemy knows he's defeated already because of the signs of God's favor on his people. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. Oh gosh, that's a picture. <laughs> wow. I guess a million men, like, yeah, it would be, uh, never mind. Uh, and all the people came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way. And after they'd come out of Egypt, for all the people who had came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way when they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness to all the men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would show them the land which he himself, the Lord, had sworn to their forefathers he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So then Joshua circumcised their sons who he raised up in their place for they were uncircumcised because they'd not been circumcised on the way. So in other words... Again, there's an inclusio there. Circumcised, close with circumcised. Um, what was being routed out was their disobedience and their unbelief to the Lord. That died off so that children of covenant who were faithful in believing God could come into the promises. It's what the tongue was about this morning. So it was when they'd finished circumcision, all the... Circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in camp until they were healed. By the way, that's not the right military strategy to wound all your fighting men. <laughs> While there's a, a garrison called Jericho, which is the whole central area, that's their garrison against invaders from the east. Because they could have come out while they were hurt, but of course they were obeying the voice of the Lord, and when you do that, there's divine protection. And it says, till they were healed, then verse nine, then the Lord said to Joshua, this way, this day, I have rolled away or cut away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. I like that versus Hill of Foreskins. The idea is, <laughs> I have circumcised your heart and I've rolled away the shame and the brokenness and the bondage and all that the world system put on you. And this is the sign. You will have this place called Gilgal, which will be a memorial to you that, that the, the presence of God and the circumcision which Christ provides of your heart will actually be the place of victory. And if you read Joshua from Gilgal, they fight and conquer the entire territory. They go up to Ai, they conquer Jericho, go back to Gilgal. They go to Ai and they conquer Ai and go back to Gilgal. They conquer the Gibeonite Plateau and go back to Gilgal. They do the Southern Campaign and go back. Do you get it? And the idea is they stayed in the place where God had circumcised their heart and the place of covenant. And they said, this is our basis for fighting our battles. We just sang about it. This is how we fight our battles. 
He sets a table in the presence of our enemies and our praise, our worship of him, our following of his voice. This is how we fight our battles. And they did the same when they conquered the northern territories. And so, of course, that's why Samuel went from Jericho to Gilgal to Bethel, the house of the Lord, where Jacob had the encounter with the angels ascending and descending and releasing the promises of God because those were the places that marked God's people as being those that are in covenant. So uh, let's keep reading. So it was when they'd finished the circumcision that all the people stayed there and healed and God rolled away their reproach. So we're in verse 10. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight, 6 p.m. on the plains of Jericho and they ate the produce of the land on the day after Passover, unleveled bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they'd eaten the produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the fruit of the Canaan that year. I.e. they ate the fruit of the promises of God in the promised land. I'll finish the chapter. It's kind of a transition between five and six. I think we might need to get to this today. I hadn't planned on it, but we'll try. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man, capital M, the pre-incarnate Christ, stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand, ready for battle. And Joshua went up to him and said, are you for us, Israel, or are you for our adversary, the garrison in Jericho? And the man said, no. <laughs> but as commander of the Lord's army, capital C, I have now come. Translation, Joshua, this is not your fight. I'm not coming to help you in your quest. Will you join my battle? I'm the commander of the Lord of hosts. I'm the commander of the Lord's armies. I will take your territory. I will take your enemies down. Take off your shoes is what follows. Joshua fell to the earth and worshiped and said, what does the Lord say to my servant? I'm now your slave. Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. So let me make some exegetical comments on this text. Um, first thing I want to notice is the fear of the Lord. It said as they close chapter four, for the people of God, I'm reading four, verse 23 and 24. They'd set up a memorial stones and the Lord says, do this to remember my mighty works and that you might fear me. Verse 23, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you crossed over as the Lord God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us when we crossed over so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Fear being that you may reverence him and realize it's by his hand and not yours that you come into all the promises. 
and you might reverence him through faith and belief in what he said. Do you remember the tongue was, do you believe? Do you have faith? Will you yield to that? And it's like the Lord kept saying, wait a minute, there's, most of you said yes, but there's a few. By the way, God's presence stood in the river till everyone crossed. Meaning he didn't leave some unbelievers behind, but he waited until all of them mustered up belief and stepped in. Can you imagine like the river stops up and you're thinking like, I could be out there and this thing will come back and I'll be swept away. (laughs) But the presence is sitting in the middle. And there's this call to faith that's there so that the people fear God. Then it goes on and says, so when the kings heard about it on the east and west side that the Lord had dried up the river from the Jordan like he did over the Red Sea, that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them because of the children of Israel, i.e. the people of God whom God's favors on. Their hearts melted. And the spirit to fight left. Oops, why is my phone dinking at me? So sorry. It should be on silent. It was, but now it is again. I would just say this. Our people, our church, you need to walk in the Radical faith and belief so that signs and wonders follow. So that the city fears God and says God's with them. The nations are waiting for a prophet amongst us to rise up and declare the word of the Lord. They may resist it, but when it comes, they fear the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar feared the Lord through Daniel. The people feared the Lord through Jesus. They feared the Lord in Acts 5 when God moves miraculously. There's this place of, Lord, would you move so mightily and powerfully in us that our children and our children's children might fear you. And we might revere you knowing it's only because we surrendered, we obeyed your voice, and we acted in faith against our a river of impossibility. And then everyone around goes, oh my gosh, God's with them and they fear. Now, the response to that fear we saw in Joshua 2, you have your Rahabs who say, whatever it takes, I will, I'm gonna release you, but spare me and my household because we want to make covenant with Israel. We understand who your God is. And the rest who hardened their hearts and resisted were swept away. By the way, when the fear of God comes, it either leads to one of two choices, a surrender and submission to him in faith and belief, or it leads to a hardening of your heart in unbelief and positioning yourself in opposition to the the God of heaven, the God of hosts. So Lord, my prayer is that as you move through your people, our city would not harden their hearts, but that we would heed the call that today is the day of salvation and that there'd be a softening of hearts and there'd be Rahab's coming out 
and people rushing for salvation saying, I need what you have. Your God is more powerful than my God. By the way, when we were in our early history, we used to go to New Age festivals and um, <laughs> we'd do prophetic things like, here's the menu. You can have a spiritual reading, which meant we'll prophesy over you and call out destiny in the name of the one we're channeling, which is Jesus Christ, the ultimate light of the world. Or you can have a spiritual cleansing, which means we'll deliver you of your demons that you're carrying into our tent. <laughs> or you can have a father's blessing, which means we're gonna lose the love of the father, which will heal your orphan spirit, which is why you sought the false spirituality in the first place. Hello, just the, the, like down the list. You pick your poison or you pick your blessing and we'll just bless you. And they would fear the Lord and say, we see this white light around here. What are you guys doing? And God would prophesy and heal and cast out demons. And they'd say, I feel different. What's happening to me? And they would come into the fear of the Lord. It's time that we actually can invade dark places and establish the kingdom through our own fear of the Lord. Walking in holiness and that picture is, I am holy means to be set apart for the purposes of another. So I take off my shoes, my own effort and my own striving. I take it off so that I can walk into the promises God has for me. So there's some principles. When we move forward in faith in his presence with instant and unquestioned obedience to his voice, the impossible will happen and signs and wonders will precede us and it will cause the fear of the Lord to fall on the church and on the unsaved. Now what they do with that fear is up to them. It's up to the Lord. So my question is, do you fear him? And how you fear him is you you say, you know what, I'm done with my own abilities and my own effort, and I'm going to take off what I think I could claim with my human zeal, and I'm going to actually bow down before the commander of the Lord's army, right? And I'm gonna say, you know what, Lord, I surrender, I can't do it. It's you that will take the land. Forgive me for trying to do it with human zeal. I'm so sorry, Lord. And then trusting that he can dam up the Adam that's affected your life and cause you to cross through the river of impossibility into the promises that you know are for you. The, the scriptures are all meant to be metaphors in the Old Testament of what it looks like for a life in Christ. And I tell you, we need encounters like that where we get the awe and the holiness, the fear of God that strikes us. And that we actually realize, I actually need the commander of the Lord's army to fight this battle for me. Lord, forgive me for wielding my own sword, which kind of looks like a Nerf sword. And um, I need the commander of the Lord's army to go before me with the sword of the Lord. By the way, when Gideon took out the Midianites, Notice what it said in the text. The sword of the Lord and for Gideon. 
It's the sword of the Lord that defeated the Midianites. Gideon just happened to be the one that through his unbelief needed a bunch of fleeces. The barley loaf rolls down and the enemy gets fearful and they just blow, uh, they blow shofars announcing the Lord's presence and they put fire torches in earthen vessels and crack them open like this is my brokenness, it's the best I can offer. And the enemy hears that and sees the fire of the Lord and flees and destroys themselves. I mean, the picture's really clear. You can't do this. Peter, fisherman, I fish all my life. Proud, brawn, I got this. I know how to fish. I'm gonna do it. I love the way the chosen put it together. Fishing all night, Jesus gets in his boat and says, throw your net. And he says, Lord, we fished all night. But notice what he does. At your bidding, I'm going to obey your voice, Rabbi. He casts the net, does this miraculous catch of fish, and he falls down and says, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. He's taking off his shoes, and then the Lord immediately speaks destiny and says, from now on, you'll fish men. Because now that you're broken, I can trust you with my kingdom because you'll realize you can't do it in your own strength. Do you see the picture? This is, this is the picture. This is what it looks like. This is how it looks when we do this. This issue of circumcision is key because it's a sign of covenant. By the way, the New Testament is we, we have our heart circumcised by Jesus and our initiation rite is not circumcision, but baptism. It's why the Lord led us to have a baptismal tank where 45 people at the Refresh Conference got rebaptized. Some for the first time, many for the second. Just say, you know what? I've been doing this on my own. I've wandered. I've been in a wilderness. I need to recommit to the Lord's provision and the Lord's power. I'm going to allow myself to die in the waters of the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit and I'm gonna let myself die so that I can be raised to new life and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit in his strength, not my mind. I mean, this picture of surrender is so key. Like Zerubbabel, 70 years, the Babylonians had crushed the temple. They piled the rocks on one another, poured tar on it and set it on fire. And he looks at it and goes, this is an impossible mountain. How am I supposed to rebuild this temple? And the Lord speaks in Zechariah 4 and says, what is this, O mountain, that stands before you? Not by might, human might, nor by strength, nor by human power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And the capstone, which is Jesus, of the built temple shall be put into place by shouts of grace, grace, i.e. God did it. And then he shows them the picture of the oil coming from heaven to actually empower the work of Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest to accomplish the work. So I just speak to your mountains. What are you, O mountain, that has opposed the people of God that has stood in their face and mocked them and reproached them? I say, by the blood of Jesus and by the power of his spirit, you are coming down now in Jesus' name. The wilderness and the reproach of your past is broken off. Your sin has been paid for by the blood of Christ. And God is recircumcising your heart. I can see it on you. He's recircumcising your heart right now to say, 
He takes, you know what cutting the foreskin is? You cut off the flesh so the seed of the word of God can come forth without touching flesh. So he circumcises your fleshly heart, Ezekiel 26, to give you a soft heart, a heart of the spirit. And it says there, the spirit will cause you to walk in his ways. He'll forgive your sin. It's in Ezekiel. I'll take you out of the land where you've wandered, where you've been in bondage, and I'll put you in and I'll forgive your sin and put clean water and sprinkle it on you and I'll put a new spirit and a new heart in you. And my spirit will cause you to mock in my ways and there will be abundance of blessing and prosperity. It's this picture the Lord wants us to catch in this season. He's circumcising this stuff. So the agreement is just take it off. I mean, you can't fight your own sin. Like you were saved by grace. Why are we trying to work it out with our own effort? As Galatians says, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? You began in faith by the spirit through grace. And now you're trying to do this by thinking about recircumcising yourself, putting yourself in bondage to the law again. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I don't mean to, I'm not angry. Um, I feel focused because I'm tired of God's people being ravaged by the wilderness and the reproach of Egypt and the world system and their unbelief when all they have to do is cross the Jordan, get to Gilgal and recircumcise and celebrate the Passover of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world so that you might walk in freedom. And the commander of the Lord's army, it's in Hebrews chapter 12, says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and champion. Do you know what the champion is? It's the dread champion that carries the sword, that fights the battle, and all of the armies won by the dread champion. That's the picture. Keep your eyes, and there's a cloud of witnesses watching, and you've not even suffered like Christ did on the cross. Therefore, endure the chastening of the season as raising you up in righteousness. I'm kind of quoting like, Hebrews 1, 12, 1 to 12, or 15, where it talks about, you will harvest the fruit of righteousness because of the chastisement of the Lord. The Lord would say to you today, whose fight is it? Joshua came with the wrong, the wrong idea. Are you for us, Lord, or are you for the enemy? The Lord said, no, wrong question. <laughs> Neither. I'm actually not fighting your battles. You're gonna join me in fighting mine because when I win, you win. My promises are only accomplished when my commander walks in. All the mercy of God to do these things. How many of you need like the Lord to fight your battles? Like, yeah. hello? <laughs> you know, it's, the, the, the devil really does bewitch us. He actually gets us to think it's our fight. Lord, I just declare there'd be such a presence on your people that the fear of God would proceed where they go. And the enemy would realize he's defeated already. Actually, I think the New Testament says that, right? Like, 
Every power, every principality, everything's been nailed to the cross. This is in Colossians 1 and 2. 2.15, the, the, the law has been nailed there. The, the powers, the principalities. Therefore, I put on the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, my identity in Christ, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, right? The shield of faith. We put on the, the gospel of my feet shod with the gospel of the kingdom of peace. So I have no fear in the midst of my adversity because the shalom of heaven covers me. My faith re reverses the darts the enemy would throw at me. The righteousness of Christ covers my front and my back. The belt of his word cover, it girds up my loins so that I might run with freedom and I might run into victory like David did with Goliath. And I understand my identity and I'll take up the sword of the spirit praying always in the spirit and for all the saints. I just feel the zeal of the Lord, like, like just let me do this. Like, I, I know your kids need rescuing. I know your marriage needs saving. I know you've got issues in your life, sin issues. I know you've got Egypt clinging to you in this area. Just let me, like, be your commander right now. Do you feel the zeal of the Lord, like, he can accomplish this, Will you attach faith to that or will you continue to try to fight your own battles? Let the Lord circumcise your heart. Remember, we do this through the Lord's Supper, the Passover lamb, who is the bread from heaven. And I feel like this is, we crossed over last week in some ways. When we, we took sort of authority over some things but now we're about to eat the harvest. This day we're eating the harvest of the new land. One of our prophetic people texted and said, I see vases, they used to have oil, but I see them full of milk and honey. That tells me the provision of God and the promises of the new land are actually available to you right now today. So let me share some principles related to this. Thanks for letting me ramble. Kingdom conquest begins with rest and a fresh circumcision of heart. You want to take out the enemy? You want to walk into victory? You want to see those things? It begins with a fresh circumcision of heart and rest. Rest is the word that means to actually, well, let's read that out of Psalm 37 since this right here, hang on. Psalm 37, I mean, listen to the psalm. I mean, it's like David did this. Trust in the Lord, verse three, and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of, his, of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently, which means to tremble in your weakness. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. So, the principle I'm sharing is your conquest is gonna begin with fresh trust, fresh circumcision of heart and rest. 
Then I would say this, the gift of salvation, which was the crossing of the Red Sea, precedes your renewal in your kingdom promises. It's why the church needs revival and renewal. Because we all got saved, but then we walked through the wilderness as God dealt with the Egypt in us. But now to get into the promises, we need to be renewed in our early covenant. Think of the churches in Revelation. You forgot your first love. Or the bookend of that. In the church of Laodicea, your heart is lukewarm. I wish you were either hot or cold. Because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. Behold, I'm standing at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. And if you open to me, I will come in and dine with you. And you will dine with me. This is the abiding language. This is kind of a sober word, but I, 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 I've, I know that God is calling the church to war right now. But we can't go to war if our hearts aren't circumcised and we haven't taken off the shoes of our human zeal. We just can't do it. We'll have, it, we'll have some needless casualties along the way if we don't do it. So this renewal precedes kingdom advances. I think what we need to do in our hearts is renew our covenant through spiritual and heart circumcision. We need to renew our fellowship with God by feasting on him. That's what the Passover meal, it was a feast of the covenant to celebrate the mighty, saving, delivering works of God. So I'm going to feast on his faithfulness and I'm going to rest in him. Behold, he sets a table in the midst of my enemies and his rod and staff comforts me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He's with us and it says that, that God will follow after. It means to pursue relentlessly. His mercy will follow us all the days of our life. Do you realize in his mercy, he's coming after you like the hound of heaven <laughs> to say, I got this. Will you eat in the presence of your enemies as we say, this is how we fight our battles. I think I've said enough. Why don't we stand? Let's uh, minister to one another. And you can lay on the floor where some of you are already. You can take off your shoes if that's where you are. I'm so grateful for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, for, Lord, for giving us a tongue with a word on this. There were people that texted in. We didn't read the text that the line of Judas here, he's roaring over his enemies that the lion of the commander of the Lord's army is roaring and he's defeating the enemies of God. We had all sorts of words like this, but we've got this sober word of recommitment, of recircumcision, of allowing God to do this. I just love the word of God. It's so, isn't it amazing? Like it just lays it out so clear. Like here it is. Lord, we're about to take our Jerichos, but we want to be a people right now that have our hearts circumcised by the Holy Spirit, we ask you, Lord, we are not gazing on a mountain and trembling in fear of fire, but we are gazing on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We have come to Mount, 
We have come to the heavenly Jerusalem and you are shaking everything that can be shaken so that only the kingdom remains. We invite you to shake those things in our heart which hold us back, which keep us in Egypt, which keep us in the wilderness, which keep us from walking into the conquest we know is ours. Forgive us for fighting, for zealously going in. Forgive us for our unbelief, those of us that have fled and given up and punted. God, we ask you to have your mercy and to catalyze our hearts, circumcise us again. Because we attach our faith to the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. We thank you that you died for our sins. And we just declare from this day, Lord, we're, we're spiritually getting baptized again. We're getting renewed in our covenant with you. And we're saying yes again. We're upping that yes. And we're saying, God, we're in. We are here. We're in. We're in. Holy Spirit, just come and do your work. Just let his presence come on you. Fall, Holy Spirit. All-consuming fire fall in the house. Lord, before you send the fire of empowerment, send the fire of holiness and cleansing. And we thank you that it's accomplished in Christ, in the cross. We bless you. Yeah, this is a you and God moment. The commander is standing right in front of you. And if you need to ask him a few questions, why don't you just talk to him right now? Like, what's he saying to you? Lord, let a revelation of the commander of the Lord's army show up. God, I thank you that you have all of their battles. You actually knew them before the foundation of the world. They are in your hand. And no weapon fashioned against these servants of yours shall prosper. The Lord created the blacksmith, that's is out of Isaiah. to refine the metal so that it can become the sword of the Lord. So you become the weapon rather than the weapon fashioned against you. Fashion your people, God. He's just here. I don't want, I'm just gonna linger for a minute. He's just in the room. Touch us, Lord. Jesus. 
I feel like some of you need to attach faith right now. I actually feel like if you could ball up in your hands the dysfunction that you feel like has held you into the wilderness or the Egypt that's clinging, put it in your hands and set it at the feet of the Passover lamb who was sacrificed for you and just give it to him. Let it go. He can't take it if you don't let it go. You gotta let the blood of Christ cover this. And I tell you, every demonic power that fashions itself against you falls at the name of Jesus. The river God of the Canaanite fell at the river Jordan. Balzafan, the, the, the east wind and the, the, the sea God fell when they crossed the Red Sea. When the Nile was turned to blood, the Nile river God failed. All of the gods of Egypt failed. Every demonic power that comes against you is down in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Just like declare that, do that. Set a, set a marker in the, in the ground right now. Be at your own Gilgal. We might as well live a hill of foreskins here. <laughs> Let's call it a foreskin of our, our brokenness. Because from this place, we will fight our battles knowing that God has done it. And we will march the presence around our enemies and our opposition because it's already been paid for in Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you entered Jerusalem on the 10th, like the day they crossed the river, and that you were crucified on the Passover, and that you rose on the 17th the day the ark came to rest on Mount Ararat and there was a new beginning. Do it. We, have, we appropriate the resurrection power of Jesus Christ for our brokenness and we say it is now defeated in Jesus' name.